So today I want to talk to you about the high cost of compromise. The high cost of compromise. I believe every one of us struggles with compromise. There's certain things that we do that, that, that we allow, that maybe certain things that we get involved in that are called compromise. It's things that we kind of, we've got this standard that God wants us to live by, this, this righteousness that we're, we're trying to live up to, but sometimes we compromise and we make decisions that lower that standard or that don't meet the expectation that God has. And so we'll compromise some things. I know in, in, in when it comes to construction, sometimes when there's a failure in a building, the, the engineers will get involved, and the word they always use is that something was compromised, which means that something was weakened and therefore gave way. So today I want to talk to you about the high cost of compromise. So let me define compromise for you. It means to weaken by accepting standards that are lower than is desirable. Here's a couple of words that describe compromise. Undermine, weaken, damage, harm, jeopardize discredit, dishonor, shame, embarrass, all describe compromise. Every one of us, and I want you to look at your neighbor, say you too. Every one of us compromises. Some area in life we compromise, right? You're trying to lose weight. I know we're going into the winter and we got this whole kind of beast thing going on. I got to put on some winter fat to keep warm. You know what I'm saying? So we kind of give up on the diets and the exercise because we're going in the winter and we can wear thicker clothes and nobody sees we put on an extra 10 pounds, right? But you, some of you spent most of the summer struggling and fighting and wrestling to not compromise on your what? On your diet, right? What is compromise? Fried chicken, blue bell, I hear the new cake one has no calories in it. I don't know. I just heard that. But compromise, we'll, we'll, we'll end up compromising some things, and then we don't end up reaching the goal that we're setting ourselves for. The goal that we set will compromise and end up falling short or weaken the vision that we have for that thing. So, th- so this morning, I want to start out in Galatians chapter 5. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. This is a verse that, that every believer, every follower of Jesus must know. You must know this verse. It's a must. It's one of the things in the Bible that you just have to know, and it's called the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I want you to see this. I'm just going to teach on this real quick, and then I'm going to move on to the message. This is just kind of a side note, because I want to to start out by giving you the the goal. I want to give you the the purpose. I want to give you the reason that we're in this relationship with Jesus And I want you to to begin to focus your life on what we're supposed to be doing so that we'll stop focusing on what we're not supposed to be doing. Amen. So Galatians 5.22 says this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. (laughs) There's no law. So what if I told you that right now the city of Eunice is going all the way from one end of 190 to the other end, taking all the speed signs down, the speed limit signs, and they're taking down all the red lights? What if I told you that happened? How fast could you get to Walmart now? We would go from 16 minutes to 8 minutes. From my house in Prudhomme all the way to Walmart. I'm telling you, there's no law. How would you feel if there was no law on 190? 
Hey, I took defensive driving. I ain't scared. I'll dodge some suckers. Me, I'll take the signs down, baby. I don't want no law, right? What the Bible is saying, and, and Paul is saying, that when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit, let me say them again, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is another word for patience, your favorite word, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen to me, there's no law. There's no restrictions. I'll dare say this morning that you can have as much joy as you want. I'll say you can have as much patience as you want. Oh, but pastor, you don't know who my family is. Pastor, I mean, they were born without patience. We missed that gene. I'm telling you, you can have as much as you want, as much as you'll let the Holy Spirit produce in you, because there's no limitations. There's no limitations. How many of you would love to have some more peace in your house? Maybe some peace in your mind or your emotions? Listen to me. Go get it. Go get it. Don't hold back. Go get it, right? Go get it. How many of you would like to have some more joy? Come on. The holidays are coming. You're you're turning into the Grinch already. I want some more joy. (laughs) So those are the fruits of the Spirit. Now watch this. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in us when we let Him. How do you get patience? Come on. How do you get patience? When your patience is being tested. When you get in impatient situations, that's where you get patience, right? That's when you go, okay, Lord, I'm about to pop my top. I need some patience. Please help me before I kill these children. Lord, please, right? Patience. You don't get patience sitting on the sofa. You get patience out in the world. You get patience out in the struggle, right? You get patience when your kids are doing homework. Math will give you patience. Can I get a witness? (laughs) So the Bible's very clear that we got to be going forward. Our, Our purpose, our mission is to produce fruit. God wants us to be fruitful people. Let me tell you why. Because God will place you in a situation that needs joy. And you're the fruit tree in that situation. God will put you in a situation that needs some peace. He'll put you there because you got the fruit of peace. Here's the thing about God. When he wants your fruit, he wants your fruit. If it's not there, we're going to learn a little bit later. He gets a little upset. When he goes to pick some fruit from your life and use it in a situation and it's not there, he don't like that. Don't get quiet on me. We were having a good time. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 21. I want to show you something this morning about compromise. I wanted to give you that first because that's the goal. That's the purpose. That's what we're heading for. And when you ever, you ever get into a place where you're not sure what your fruit is like, that's why God wants us to do life with other people. You need, if you're married, you need your spouse to examine your fruit. And they do it without you asking. (laughs) Right? You're mean. I didn't ask you if I was mean. I don't care. You're mean. You ain't got no patience. (laughs) You need other people in your life to help you examine the fruit of your life. Because your fruit is supposed to always be increasing. Right? It's supposed to be increasing. 
Sometimes your joy is produced in a situation that it's just hard to find joy in. I was, I was walking the property this week, and Michelle next door has some satsuma trees. And man, the tree's about to break. They're so full of satsumas. And they look good. I was like, oh, it's on now. I'm stealing some fruit. <laughs> I grabbed one of them things, and I'm talking with a guy, and we're peeling. I'm like, boy, this is going to be good. It was sour. You know why it was sour? Because we haven't been through the first freeze yet. In order for the sweetness to come, it has to go through a freeze. You see, but, but Christians don't want that. We want all the fruits of God without going through any trouble to get it. Right? We want the sweetness in our life without any freezes. Right? So that's where we're headed. We're, we're supposed to be producing fruit. You need to examine your fruit. I was studying this this week and I just went, Lord, I haven't prayed for fruit in a while. Lord, I've kind of forgotten about my fruit. I got so wrapped up in ministry that I've forgotten about my fruit. Lord, I don't want to lose my fruitfulness. I don't want to lose my, my sweetness in my life. I don't, the, the joy and the patience and the, and the goodness and the kindness, that's the sweetness of your life. Right? I don't want to lose that, Lord. So I begin to pray, Lord, I need to, I need to grow some more fruit, Lord. I need to grow better fruit. So here we go. Let's talk about the compromise. Matthew chapter 21. So that's where we're supposed to be going. I'm going to show you the opposite and then bring it back around towards the end. Matthew 21. Let me set it up real quick. We're going to start around verse 12. Jesus, Jesus just, just heals two blind men. They receive their sight. Crazy thing happens. Then in, in chapter 21, in the beginning, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. It's a big celebration. And Jesus is on a donkey, a colt, the Bible says, a young donkey. And he's, he's riding along, and the crowds are lined up on each side of the street. And they're singing, Hosanna in the highest. You are the king of kings. You're the most holy. They're laying down palm branches. They're, they're throwing their, their blankets on the ground so his feet don't get dirty. There's just this incredible praise going on. Think about what Jesus is feeling. What if you came to church today and we met you at your car with the two lines of people with palm branches and blankets just to get you into the church? And we're going, you're so awesome. You're so cool. I love your hair. You know, all those things. What if we did that? How would you feel? You'd be like, you'd perk up. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life, right? Jesus is kind of overwhelmed with this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's like, wow, it's incredible. So go with me to verse 12 because it changes. Here's the compromise. He's on his way. He's in Jerusalem. Verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is what my house is going to be called, a house of prayer, but you've turned it into something else. Watch what Jesus was saying. You've compromised the temple. You've dishonored it. You've weakened it. You've, you've jeopardized it. You've, 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 just, you've defiled the temple. 
Okay, now, now, now let's wrap our heads around this. He's coming into the city. Everybody's praising him. Whoa, Jesus is the man, right? He walks into the temple and he goes, hold up a second. Y'all ain't supposed to be doing this in here. And you need to get out of here. And this needs to go. Okay, let me tell you something this morning. Jesus had anger issues. Oh, pastor, you can't talk about Jesus like that. I'm telling you, Jesus had anger issues. The difference between his anger issue and our anger issue is that his anger issue was for righteousness. Jesus walked into the temple and saw something that wasn't right, and it angered his soul. It angered his spirit because this was out of line. This is not what the temple is supposed to be used for. This is not its purpose. This isn't what it was created for. It was created for something else, not for this, right? And he goes in and he clears it out. In Mark, according to Mark, Jesus actually goes in the night before, which I find very interesting because he goes in the night before. Mark says that he went in the night before and he examined the temple. And he leads you to believe that the next morning he goes into the temple and it begins to clear house. Either way, Jesus went into the temple of God and cleaned the house out, right? I said, right? So Jesus goes in, throws all kind of stuff around, runs people out. And then he begins to quote Isaiah and Jeremiah. That's what that statement is. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That was Isaiah. Isaiah made those statements first in the Old Testament. Jesus knew the Old Testament. Come on, somebody. He quoted Isaiah. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Then he quotes Jeremiah. And he says, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, it's interesting that that in Jeremiah's time, I went back to Jeremiah and I looked that up. And it says that that in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah was correcting the same thing in the temple. They had turned the temple of God into a den of thieves. They compromised it even in the Old Testament. And it talks about money changers, right? So money changers were were the priests. Who, who when people would come in with foreign coins, they would exchange the money for the coins of their time so that they could go and purchase things that they needed in that area. So it was a money exchange. So the priests, realizing, I kind of got these people. They can't spend their money in my city unless I change it for something else. They begin to compromise and take advantage of the people. So when Jeremiah says... You've turned my house into a den of thieves. What he was talking about is like when when thieves go and hide in a cage, he was saying that you come running into my sanctuary, you come running into, into the temple of God in hopes to bypass the judgment of God so that you don't face punishment. But the reality is that God still sees it, right? Therefore, that's where the, the, the word or the phrase den of thieves comes from. And I wonder if, if Jesus was upset because they had turned the temple into a hiding place to try and hide out from punishment. I know none of you ever come to church to escape the judgment of God. That's just not OSC people. I used to come to church when I was younger. I was in my teens. I would go to church in hopes that God would forgive my punishment. 
he would forgive my sins. I thought my attendance would take care of my repentance. (laughs) So I would come to church, don't want to be there, not paying attention, (laughs) swipe my card here in hopes that God would overlook my sin. I wonder how many people come to church today with the wrong motive and the wrong idea. How many people come to church, they'll come to a temple of God, and they'll go, well, I'm just here because I'm trying to, I'm trying to duck out. Hope God didn't see what I did this week. Hope he didn't see my compromise. Why do we come to church? Why do you come to church? Why are you here today? Are you here because you're running from something? Are you here because you want to lift up the name of Jesus? You want to get next to some other people that are like-minded and like-spirited and like-hearted. And maybe you want to hear something inspiring and encouraging. Maybe you're here to see somebody get baptized, which is tremendous. You're here to celebrate somebody giving their life to Jesus and getting baptized. Whatever reason, that's what we're supposed to be here for. We're not here to duck away from punishment. Amen. So that's where all that came from. So Jesus was saying, my house will be called a house of prayer, not a place that you come to duck from punishment. You got to get this. This is not a place that you come to hide from punishment. I love the way Jesus walks in and starts setting things right in the temple. Man, he just comes in and it just shows his love for the temple of God. When I read Mark's translation, I just, I see Jesus kind of like interested in the temple. How's the temple going? You following me? How's this? He, he, he walks into it at night and kind of just looks around and goes, wow. wonder what they're doing in here. Hmm. Now you see, Jesus had been in that temple many times teaching, but it wasn't compromised. This time he came, it was compromised. He loves the temple. God loves the temple. Let me show you something. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You getting something yet? It says this, Do you not know that your body, say your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, And you are not your own. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Whoa, hold up a second. He was talking about a building. He cleared out a building. He ran the money changers out of the building. Now you're telling me that I'm the temple? (laughs) Look at me. You're the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're a Christ follower, the the Spirit of God lives inside of your body, which is His temple. So remember, God loves His temple, right? Come on, this is real good. God loves His temple, but you're the temple. He's not in love with this brick and mortar. He's not in love with this roof or this carpet. He's not in love with that. He's in love with this. Because this is the temple right? He loves his temple. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? So it's the Holy Spirit from God and you are not your own. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't belong to you. So if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, would it be possible to compromise some things? 
and in turn defiled the temple? Absolutely it's possible. We all compromise. That's how I started this whole message. Every one of us makes compromises, right? How many of you blew it this week? How many of you said a curse word? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Some of you are like, (laughs) I said three, Pastor. (laughs) It's possible. It's possible. It's possible to compromise your temple. But let me ask you a better question. What's it costing you? What's it costing you when you compromise? What's it costing you when you look at something you're not supposed to look at? What's it costing you when you say something that you promise to keep secret? What's it costing you when you, you go somewhere that you know you're not supposed to go or do something that you're not supposed to do? What's it cost you when you start to think a certain way that you're not supposed to think? What's it costing you? That's the high cost of compromise. It's costing you something. I think of I think of David and I think many times in church we we think man I can I can live like I want to and still do what Jesus did. I can I can do what I want to and still experience the power of Christ and and there's a whole movement in the church these days called this this abuse of grace where people think I can live like I want to I can do what I want to because God said he will always forgive me so why live right why live for him I'm just going to live for me and when I get in trouble I'm going to come hide in the house when I get in trouble I'm just going to come up underneath it's Lord your grace what's it costing you I think about David. It cost David something. Compromise costed David. The Bible said David was a man after God's own heart, right? Do you know that in a moment's decision, David went from a man after God's own heart to an adulterer? Then right after he committed adultery, he committed murder. Think about this. This is King David. He went from an adulterer to a murderer. And then the consequences are is he lost his son. His baby died. It's even bigger than that. It says, the Bible said that that the sword will never leave your house, David. There will always be aught in your house. And it was true. Even until he took his last breath, one of his sons was trying to take the kingdom from from the son that he promised it to. There was always trouble in David's house because compromise will cost you something. Right? It'll cost you. It'll cost you more than you think. Look at your neighbor and say, compromise is expensive, Shia. That's the same thing you say when you go to Walmart. That's expensive, yeah. So that's the compromise. They compromised the temple. They defiled it. Let's go to verse 14 and talk about the reset. Because Jesus came in and he reset the temple. He came in and reset things. He, he, was, he had this righteous anger that caused him to reset some things that weren't right. And I'm telling you today, if you'll invite him into your life, he'll get in there and reset some things. He may not throw over some tables or some chairs, but he might. But then he may just come in and say, hey, I want you to take care of this. I want you to, to stop doing that. I want you to start doing this and go over here. This needs to leave. This needs to come in. That needs to go. This needs to come here. If you'll ask him, he'll reset your life. Amen? He had to reset David's life. 
So watch this, verse 14. So Jesus just clears the house. He clears the temple. Remember, you're the temple. He clears the temple of compromise. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What was, comp- what was the, the cost of compromising in that temple? There was nothing supernatural happening. There were no miracles happening. The presence of God wasn't there because it was compromised. As soon as Jesus goes in and clears out the house, here comes the supernatural. Here comes the miraculous. They come walking in the door. Compromise out. Sin out. Miraculous supernatural in are you seeing the pattern you get the trash out jesus brings in his power come on somebody this is a process of life we're going to face this until jesus comes back because we're going to continue to compromise i don't care we try we try not to i pray not to i work hard not to compromise but there's times that i compromise but if i'll cry out to jesus he will come back and he will reset my life right he'll reset it So it says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, which is another word for angry. The chief priests and the scribes, watch this. Jesus clears the house out for them. The supernatural comes back. Miracles happen. Children begin to praise, and there's something important about that. Children begin to praise Jesus because of what they saw. And the chief priest, which represents the religious folks, got mad because the children were praising Jesus, or they got mad because the miraculous was happening. Which one was it? I dare say it was because the children were praising Jesus, because watch how Jesus responds. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Verse 16. And he said to them, or they, and, and they, were, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? What does Jesus address with them? The praise issue, not the miracle issue, right? Right? The religious folks had a problem with the children's praise. So how... And when or when and where does compromise start? Where does it start for us? Because we got to deal with this compromise. I'm telling you today, we got to learn how to deal with compromise. You got to know when and where does it start. The Bible's very clear that it starts in your mind and it starts in your heart. Watch this. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. If you don't want to compromise, you need to guard your heart. Because from your heart determines the course of life. Some translations say, from your heart flows all the issues of life. You want to change your issues? Guard your heart. Right? And then it says this in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The, Paul is saying, don't compromise. Don't live like this world. Don't be like this world. Renew your mind. 
What does that mean? The Bible teaches that we're to take our thoughts captive and bring them to the obedience of Christ. So watch this. The enemy loves to lie, right? I said the enemy loves to lie. He will always come at your mind first. He's coming at your mind. He's, if you go back to Adam and Eve, he went at their mind. If you start to believe what he says, then it'll find its way into your heart. And when it gets into your heart, that's where your life is determined at, the course. That's where compromise comes from. You following me? You start believing the lies of the enemy. It gets into your heart. Here comes compromise. You seeing this? Now watch this. The enemy lies, but he speaks truth in his lies. When he was with Adam and Eve, he spoke truth to them. But it had this fine line of lies in it. When he was tempting Jesus in the desert, what did he do? He was quoting scripture to Jesus, trying to trip him up with scripture, right? I heard this week one of my friends told me that rat poison is 99% rat food, 1% rat poison. So when you put out rat poison, the rats are like, hey, they feeding us, woo! Right? They call all their buddies. They come and they manger on the 99% rat food. But watch out. There's 1% poison in there. It's just like the enemy works. He's not going to come with a blatant lie to try to get you to believe that. He's going to sprinkle a whole lot of truth on top of it. But there's going to be something in there that's going to get you. And when it gets you here, it's going to get in here. And then here comes the compromise. Right? That's why people stay addicted. That's why people stay depressed, because they keep eating what the enemy gives them. <clears throat> Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have to eat it. I find it funny how the chief priests and the scribes when they saw the results of Jesus healing the blind and the lame, they get angry. <laughs> Jesus started the whole thing with anger, but his anger was different than their anger, right? Let's, let's talk about the solution real quick, and I'm going to wrap it up. So we've talked about the compromise of the temple. We've talked about how we're the temple of the Holy Spirit now, and that God loves our temple. We've talked about how, how God wants to come and reset our lives he wants us to renew our minds. The reason you need to know this Bible is not so that you can impress other people. You need to know the words in this book so that you can defeat the lies of the enemy. You need to know the absolute truth so when he comes with 99% truth, you can pluck out the 1% poison and say, no, I don't want none of that. That's why you need to know the word. It's not to make you closer to Jesus. It's not to make you more holy, though it will. It's to get you to understand what absolute truth is. And the world today needs absolute truth. Right? We have moral issues in this world because we've gotten further and further away from the absolute truth. Pastor Bubba gave me some statistics this morning. 6% of Americans know what their Bible says.
26% of Americans are atheists. That's higher than ever before. The further we get away from the truth, the dirtier and darker this world becomes. Amen? The same is true for you personally, just like it is for this world. The further we get away from this, the more trouble we get into. Amen? So here's the solution. Verse 21. I'm sorry. Verse 16. They were, they were angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Sounds a little awkward maybe, kind of weird. But Jesus just addresses the whole thing. He says, yeah, I heard exactly what they said. Have you not heard that out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have perfected prayer or praise. You've perfected praise. In other words, praise can be imperfect. You have perfected praise. Wow. So the religious people were mad about the praise, not the miracles. They weren't even upset about the cleansing of the temple. They were upset about the babes and the nursing infants praising Jesus. I just want to say to you this morning, this is the second week in a row that the Holy Spirit's been bringing up the issue of praise. And I want you to get this today. Your praise is powerful. Go with me to Psalms chapter 8, verse 2. I want to show you about this perfect praise because some of you are going, well, what's perfect praise? Psalms chapter 8, verse 2. This is what Jesus was quoting. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength or established strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. So watch this. The Bible saying that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, the youngest of them all, right? The most innocent, the most pure, the most undefiled, the most unafraid, Out of those mouths, you have perfected praise. And what does this praise do? It silences your enemy. It silences the avenger of your soul. Are you getting this? So, So watch this. So if praise is powerful and we're supposed to be people of praise then perfect praise shuts up the enemy, right? Perfect praise shuts up the enemy. It silences the enemy. Well, let's back up a minute. How do we get to compromise? When we listen to the words of the enemy, right? And then it gets in our head and it gets in our heart and then here comes compromise, right? You want to shut it down? Start to praise. Well, pastor, that means I got to like sing? I mean, I don't, I'm not going to play instruments. I mean, I don't always have a boombox with me, Pastor. I mean, how am I supposed to praise? I mean, what, what am I supposed to Listen to me. Praise doesn't always have music with it. Praise isn't always sung. When you read the book of Psalms, it was letters written. God, you are the most holy. God, you are high and mighty. God, there's none greater than you. All the earth bows before you, O oh God. That's praise. That's praise. 
You see, the thing about the infants and the babes was that they weren't afraid of anything. They didn't know they had an enemy. They wasn't worried about that. They were innocent. And they were pure. They didn't care what other people thought. They just began to lift Jesus up. They saw something supernatural happen. And they went, wow, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, you're the king. You're the most powerful. Unashamed, right? And the Bible, or Jesus, called that perfect praise. I wonder if the reason we don't praise more than we do is because we're too worried about what people think. Or maybe we're too afraid of the enemy. Maybe we're too worried about what it's going to look like or sound like. What's stopping up your praise? Come on, this is the second week in a row the Holy Spirit's talking about praise and somebody's got to get a little praise because I'm telling you, it's going to silence the enemy. Some of you have been listening to him for too long. He's been battling in your mind and you've been in this war for years and you're tired and you're weary and your flesh is getting worn out because you're just battling. You just go, I don't know if this is true or that's true. I don't believe this. But there's a solution. Perfect praise shuts up the enemy. Are you getting this? Praise shuts the enemy down, puts God back in his rightful place. Not that he needed you to put him there, but so that you now begin to see him where he is. He becomes in his high and mighty place in your mind and in your heart now, because before when you were caught up in this battle in your head, Jesus became lower and less and the enemy became stronger and your problems became bigger. Praise does something in your mind and it lifts Jesus back up in your mind and tells the enemy where to go and what to do. Right? Perfect praise. Praise produces power to prevail. If you're tired of hearing the enemy, if you're tired of battling in your mind, then shut him up. You see, I find it funny that the thing that shuts down the enemy is the thing that he used to do. If you go back, Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. He was the angel who was the worship leader. He was in charge of the praise, but he compromised and he got cast out of heaven. It's amazing to me that the very thing that he used to be good at is the thing that shuts him down. But what really amazes me is that the church is so quiet. Why are we so quiet? We'll just wrestle with our problems and we'll, we'll war. And we want people to see us struggling and, and we're downcast and we can't have no joy. We got, we got no fruit because we're, we're battling and we won't shut the enemy up. Sometimes as the head of my house, I got to look at my wife and go, that's a lie. That's a lie. You're not going to believe that lie. Now stand up on the truth. Get your butt up off the ground. We're going to dust you off and we're going to keep going. And you're going to change your attitude because Jesus is still on the throne. Nobody took him off. Sometimes I look at my kids and say, you're not going to believe that lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And they go, it is. And you're not going to believe it. I'm not going to stand by 
and let you believe. Because you see, the thing about people that really love you, they'll speak truth to you. They'll tell you. They'll call you, <laughs> they'll call you to come to their house and drink coffee. And while you're drinking coffee, they go, you know, Sha, you've been looking down lately. Girl, you look a little frustrated. Everything all right? And you're like, Praise shuts down the enemy. Praise will keep you from producing fruit. Perfect praise. So how do we praise? Let me give you four ways to praise. With words. Psalms is full of praise. You don't have to have singing or music to praise God. Some of you don't need to sing. I want to see if you're paying attention. With songs and instruments. <laughs> All throughout the Bible, it shows where they use songs and instruments. They broke out into praise. Praise is all throughout the scriptures, if you'll pay attention. Generosity is another way to praise God. What you do with your things can bring praise to God. Amen? Also, with our lives, how we live. How we respond, how we act, the things that we do when situations arise, it all brings praise to God. Listen to me. Let somebody hit you in the back of your brand new car and your best friend's sitting next to you and you were just witnessing to her. Let somebody hit you in the bumper of your brand new car and see if you don't act right or respond right if they don't go, dang, they got something better than I got. Right? What you got? I'd have done been out there beating that person up. Hitting my car. How we live praises God. Amen? Let me shut it down with this. Come on, Virginia. Let's go back to Matthew 21 real quick. I got to get this to you because I started off with fruit and I want to end with fruit. Jesus, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning, verse 18, as he returned to the city, this isn't on the screen. He was he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered. We started off talking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit and how that's what we're supposed to be after. Producing fruit. Producing fruit. You shouldn't be the same person you were two weeks ago. You should constantly be changing, ever growing, ever getting closer to God, ever getting into His presence, ever producing more fruit. Right? That's what we should be after. Watch this. The reason Jesus loves fruit is because when He wants it, He wants it. What frustrated him about the fig tree was that he knew he would never again get to taste its fruit here on this earth because he knew his time was coming. But he wanted that fruit for that moment, right? And he couldn't have it. Jesus wants to use you in other people's lives. The job you have, you're there for a reason. You're not there for a paycheck. I just hate to bust your bubble. And it might relieve some of you like, Paycheck wasn't worth it anyway. (laughs) He wants to use you at your job, at school, all you teenagers and college students, at school. 
He wants to use you. Come on, at Walmart? Jesus goes into Walmart. He wants to use you in your hobbies, use you in your neighborhood. But watch this. This is how he wants to use you. He wants to plant you in that place, and then he wants to use the fruit in your life to reach other people and to refresh them and to change their life and to show himself 